Hello, everyone. I'm Abhijat Saraswath, and you're listening to the Fringe Legal Podcast. This is a show where I discuss the future of the legal profession with practitioners, thinkers, and innovators. The future is, of course, a topic that's becoming more important than ever, especially in these turbulent times. And I do hope you're all keeping well and safe. Before we get started, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the Fringe Legal Newsletter. This is a weekly roundup of interesting things. Every Sunday, I send out an exclusive email with three to five of the coolest things we've explored that week. It could include exclusive content, sneak peek at future projects, books, articles, or new hacks. The emails are available only if you subscribe to the newsletter, and more than 530 people receive it every single week. You can join up at fringelegal.com slash newsletter. It's completely free. I am delighted to be joined today by Jan Hart, who is the Director of Legal Innovation at Johnson Winter and Slattery, based out of Australia. Jan, thank you for joining me today. No, it's, it's a great pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me. No, this is going to be a great conversation. So today we're talking about your journey from being a lawyer to an innovator. And of course, both of these things sure. can exist in parallel, uh, but you took a very deliberate step from one to the other and will hopefully cover quite a lot, but focus around what are some of the things that you learned, what some assumptions you had, which of those came true, which of them maybe you had to challenge uh, and what you learned from that. Before we dig into all of that, just to set the stage for uh, our audience here, would you mind just describing what sort of started this journey for you? What did you do before you were the Director of Legal Innovation? Uh, sure. No, that's fine. So um, originally uh, a solicitor, a corporate M&A lawyer, and I started my career in the UK, although I'm originally from Zimbabwe in Southern Africa. So people, <laughs> if people are wondering about the strange accent, hopefully that will explain it. But I became a solicitor in the UK, worked for many years at Freshfields Brookhouse Deringer, became a corporate M&A lawyer there, working on transactions. I moved to Australia about nine years ago now and joined Johnson Winters, Winter and Slattery soon thereafter as a corporate M&A lawyer. We're working in the Australian market and I'm based in Sydney. I've always been one of the lawyers in, in, in the firms that I've been in who's been interested in using or leveraging technology to assist me in my practice as a lawyer. So even back um, in my Freshfields days, I was probably one of those um, lawyers who would be commonly contacting the IT team, suggesting new um, ways of doing things, new applications. And over the, the, the more recent years, this has picked up a lot, just simply as I've been seeing, witnessing the, the quite transformative changes in technology, particularly consumer technology, to which we have access to. And I've really, I really enjoyed thinking of ways that we could you know, use this technology to better drive efficiency and quality of service as solicitors. Over many years, I've, I suppose I've been bugging my IT and my management colleagues to, to make certain changes or, or suggesting certain applications um, or certain ways that we could change the applications we currently use. But yeah, about two years ago, they, my management of JWS turned around and said, why don't you help us, help us in this area more broadly, not just in, in, in your corporate practice, and, and appointed me Director of Legal Innovation at JWS. That's awesome. And now, hopefully, you have many other 
other colleagues that come to you and bug you with ideas and projects and so on as well now. So you know what it feels like on the other I side. Do. I do, <laughs> yes. It, it, has, it has been very interesting. And I'm not only the transformation from being one of those people that was just constantly suggesting to being the person who who is really responsible now for receiving those suggestions and considering whether or not they should be implemented. That that has been quite eye-opening for me. And yeah, it's been interesting to understand, particularly now you're in the hot seat, it's not quite so simple just to, particularly if you're working in a law firm, we can come to that in a moment, but it's not quite so simple to, you know, to take a, a seemingly great idea and actually put it into practice, implement it in the firm. So yeah, yeah it's been yeah. a very uh, interesting journey over the last uh, two years. Yeah. And yeah, we'll certainly dig into that. I think we were talking about how I've made certain assumptions about putting this summit together and things I thought were going yes. to be simple just because you think they're going to be simple. That never ends up being the case. Before we do talk about some of the, the points around your journey and really dig deep into some of the nitty gritty of things, what are some of the aims of the legal innovation function at the firm at JWS. So give us the sort of broad line picture of what are some of the, maybe the boundaries or the, the objectives they're assigned or you've assigned as working with the management team there on what you want to accomplish. Yeah. So we have a wide number of objectives, but we really distill it down into five areas. That's trying to use innovation and technology as part of that, but not just technology, but use it to create efficiency at scale. It isn't just sufficient to introduce a new way of doing things to help a particular small practice area. Now, of course, we will do that if that's something that is compelling for that, for that practice area. But what we really want to do in this first objective is to, try and, is to try and create efficiency at scale. So look at ways in which it can be applied across the firm and indeed to, for our clients. Flexible working is, is a second objective, which is particularly pertinent in our current environment was certainly something that we were thinking about very carefully long before COVID-19 was something that anyone knew anything about. It's increasingly important for many of my colleagues and their clients that my colleagues can work flexibly. That's not only just being able to travel and, and, and still work efficiently, but also work-life balance and be able to work efficiently from, from home. The next area was really, and one of the areas that's really interesting to me is to create um, value from the information that we hold, not only information we receive from our clients, but also information that we develop internally. So know how other forms of information, I guess that falls into three areas. Can we get better information from our, from our financial information that we gather, billing information and the like, so that we can price our matters more efficiently can we analyze information in relation to who we're in contact with who we're speaking to who our colleagues are speaking to to perhaps be better at marketing mm -hmm. and then as i mentioned earlier analyzing the, the vast amounts of information we have on, on on the work we're providing to our clients and, and providing or trying to zero in on better know-how in relation to that so that's really the third area the fourth area just no surprise at all, generate revenue. Probably don't need to say too much more about that. <laughs> Increase the amount of revenue we generate. And lastly, but certainly by no means least, is to address risk. Can we better identify the risks that our clients are facing in their matters? Can we use new innovative ways of working or new technology to even better address the risk, reduce it, perhaps even minimize it? That's an important area 
And I suppose I'd be remiss in saying that we should also we should also attempt to address our own risk as solicitors. Um, we, we we do as lawyers we do consider that risk quite carefully as well. Those are the sort of the five areas I, I look at. So whenever, for example, I assess a new way of working or a new technology. I'm trying to apply those five criterion to to that and, and, and see how we can and, and test it really to see if we should proceed in a particular way. Uh, yeah, and that's really interesting as I look through the list to write down as you were speaking. I, I guess the one that I'll, I'll highlight more because we probably won't talk about it too much is the generating revenue part. Yes, it goes without saying, but I think it is extremely important to underline because certainly I have in my conversations with individuals and businesses seen too frequently where they go down the innovation path, whatever that may mean, as you rightly said, with or without technology, because there's both parts and they just forget about the end result of this, right? What is the business benefit? So I think it's really important to see that as a point in the checklist that you have, because you need to ultimately be able to convince someone at some point about the business value of this otherwise it could be the best idea in the world but unless you can create a tangible link whether it's today or as a moonshot idea in the future then you know it often falls flat on its face it's a very important point because yes you're right we wouldn't want to do something unless it is going to have a positive impact on the revenue we generate but even if we can in theory posit that there will be a positive impact we still have to practically at least if not demonstrate it but at least will demonstrate that will be the effect because you you take in many cases you're taking this new way of working this technology say to practitioners lawyers who have for the most part have very successful practices working the way they currently are working in ways that they've you know would be working in for the most part for their entire career and you're you're asking them to change the way the way they work and in some cases it can be uncomfortable in some cases it will involve having conversations with their clients and trying not only have to persuade them but they have to persuade their clients and yeah it's very important to be able to say if you do it this way there's there's a number of positive benefits many of which i went through there's a revenue benefit there's a revenue generation benefit as well and yeah that, that it, does that that does catch attention um, <laughs> well, that, that's more right. than perhaps some of the other areas but yeah um, yeah. yeah and i, I right think to, it, to it, it's very that. important that if you lead the meeting with forget everything else if you don't pay attention to that there is a very clear revenue generating objective to this or end result that we can postulate yep. people will generally pay attention to the rest so We'll come back to this list of the other four in a second. Let's take you back in your mind to two years from from now, right, where you got this role. Did you have a idea or whatever it may have been about these five key areas that this is what your role may essentially revolve around? And I guess what I want to dig into is as you took on the mantle of this director of innovation, did you have certain assumptions? I'm sure you were like, look, I'm going to change the world. I'm going to make this the best firm in the world. Everyone will know the name KWS. What were some of the leading indicators that sort of led you down that path? I was extremely excited when I took the role. I had so many ideas. There were so many things I thought we could do, ways in which we could 
transform the way we practice law, the way we deliver services to our clients. And yeah, I have to admit there, there was a, a learning process and connection with reality in the way that we do practice law and the way that our industry, the services we provide are different to those more generally and in commercial life. For example, in the years before I took the role, um, I was always very keen and trying out consumer-grade uh, technologies to try and enhance the way I practice law and was extremely enthusiastic about a number of products and would constantly bug my colleagues um, yeah. in, I, in, in IT and management. Oh, we should be using this. We should be using that. I had, I, I had, I had so many ideas, so many things I wanted to do. But you do come up against the, the realities of being a practicing um, lawyer in a law firm and, and the duties that we are clients and, of course, to the courts and the special situation that a law firm finds itself in compared to other businesses. The great ideas that I had, the, the products I wanted us to use, um, perhaps in, in the cold light of day as a practicing lawyer are probably not yet viable, which in many ways is frustrating, but in many ways is still very interesting and exhilarating because the challenge of the job, the challenge of the role is to try and, is to try and find a way to, to where we currently are. I can see on outside there's all, all these possibilities with technology, but it's, it's to find a path to get us to be in a position where we can use that. I've been very high level in that, but two main challenges, well, probably three main challenges we face. Um, the first is cost, and I'll put that one to one side, but many technologies are quite, do come with significant cost. But the other two issues are client confidentiality and then information and thirdly information governance. Yeah. And this would apply across jurisdictions. It's not unique to Australia. We have to be extremely careful with how we hold our clients' information and ensure that it's held securely and think very carefully about how we deal with that information. And in many respects, that, that has meant that the types of technologies we use when you compare it to what's available commercially or for consumers or just in business generally, I'm seeing, I feel like they're five to 10 years behind. So when, you, when you're just a practicing lawyer and you see some of this consumer technology and you, know, you just bang on the door and say, we should just be using this, we should use this. But once, once you're in my position and you're working alongside my management colleagues, my IT colleagues, you see it from the other side. So securing client confidential information, absolutely critical for a law firm and that that has to be completely front of mind but also information governance ensuring that information is not only secure but that it that that it is all held in a place that it can be retrieved easily in the future you can't just go off on a frolic and you know put some client information here some information there needs to be in one place that was that was a very big reality check when i when i took my role and I have to confess, many of the ideas I had two years ago starting off have proved not to be practical given the, the constraints we work in as solicitors, as, as lawyers, attorneys. So it has been a, a learning process in that regard. Yeah, and, and thank you for that. It's good to know the realities of it. I don't want to just focus yep. on the, the wonderful, airy-fairy view of the world. Where yep, I had big ideas. I did everything I was set out to do. Those two happen, but that's you know a rare story. I guess what captured my attention was around this really fine line that you walk of 
cautious excitement, right? You see something and oh, this would be perfect. And you just want yes. to hold you certainly now, because I think I'm sure that putting the individual solar lawyer hat, you'd be like, this would be perfect. And then you have to almost switch the other hat and look at it from a very more focused viewpoint or more detailed viewpoint to, to ensure that it fits into client confidentiality, the information governance and security, all of those things. I guess as you were talking about that and what one of the areas, the five areas that you mentioned was around achieving efficiency at scale. So talk to me a little bit about focus. And I'm thinking from the perspective of both, as, as you were saying, when you were a lawyer, you would bring, I'm going to say tens, if not hundreds of ideas, about people with that. And I'm sure you're hearing that across the practice from others when they're bombarding you with ideas. I'm sure all great. How do you focus in on those? And I'm sure some of the challenges that you mentioned will certainly be a initial litmus test. Look, it doesn't pass the bar for information governance, so we can't even look at this. How, how do you actually focus on that? And how does that work with the at scale bit? Because some of those things may be perfect for a small practice, maybe of three people. Yep. What do you do with those instances? Yeah, so that that's a very important point. Efficiency at scale in itself is a, is a no-brainer because right. if you're able to if you're able to provide a new way of working and and implement it in a way that a large part of the practice, um, many of your colleagues are using that using it and benefiting from it, then you know that, that that's a good thing, and so it makes sense in its own. But it is, I have to say, that many of my colleagues are lawyers first and foremost. They practice law, they provide legal services to their clients. They have a certain set of tools by which they do this and they've learned to use those tools over over their years of practice. And while they're not resistant to it, it is disruptive to them to to change the way that they work. And, And so you'll have a minority of colleagues like me in my previous days who are always looking for new ways of doing things and perhaps even having a disruptive effect in the sense that we're constantly suggesting ways in which we can work more efficiently for our clients from a technological perspective or an innovative perspective. But the majority of colleagues are rightly focused on providing legal services to our clients using the tools that we currently have and and doing so in, in, in the best manner that they can. And for them, it can be a disruption if you say you should change the way that you use this tool. You should use this completely new tool as well. And while a minority of colleagues might look at it and say, yeah, great, let's try that. The majority or best will in the world are reluctant to do that unless the the benefits to them and to their clients are clearly demonstrated, clearly laid out. It's all very well pushing through an innovation or encouraging an innovation where a small number of your colleagues decide to use it and benefit from it. But I think to get the most benefit from innovation, it's better to try and bring many, if not most of your colleagues along with you to get the true benefits of it. And it's obvious from it. There's a number of ways to do it. The first approach that I'm saying, having some colleagues use some use certain types of technology and, and benefit from it <clears throat> and demonstrate it and show that it can be done, yeah. show that it brings benefits. And that's definitely a, a one approach and an approach that I like to take. But you can't just then leave those particular colleagues 
just using it and successfully using it, you need to, as part of my role, is, is bring it out and, and, and show it to other colleagues and say, encourage them to consider using this because that is where the, the true benefits will lie if, if we're able to gradually change the way we work using some of the amazing technologies that are yeah. that are available but it's yeah it's a process and and it, there's a, a a lot of communication that has to occur internally to to bring this about and it's a slow gradual process i think we may come on to it in a moment but of course the covid 19 situation we're currently still um in the middle of has brought about some interesting changes in that regard but before that yes creating efficiency at scale is a very important part of my role of the innovations that i'm bringing through because it's just not enough to encourage a few like-minded attorneys lawyers like me to, to try new things we want to bring the whole firm along with it. And, and in many cases, that means that we're a lot slower, a lot more cautious in the way we adopt new ways of doing things. But I think yeah. that that's the better approach. Yeah, and I really liked the, the, essentially the, this point that you made around not all lawyers are, they're not resistant to change, but it is disruptive. So bringing them along onto this journey you have to be able to show them some sort of a the value or benefit to either them or their clients. And I do want to dig onto this because you've mentioned the fact that all of this, and I'm glad to hear it, you mentioned it many times, all of this has to be around providing a better service to clients. So I do want to come on to that and the COVID-19 changes. But before that, how do you measure the success of these innovations or actually put it more simply, which means it will naturally be a much harder question to answer. How do you measure the success of your role? How do you know if you've done a good job in a particular year or month or week? Yeah, that, that's actually not, not an easy question to answer. And, and for someone who was a practicing um, attorney, yeah, quite, quite a change. As a practicing attorney, number of hours billed, revenue brought in, the numbers just speak for themselves. In my role, it's not so tangible in many cases. There are some tangible areas of things that I do assist with and some areas of our practice where, let me just say, my colleagues are more open or more willing to come to me for assistance and, and we can show some more tangible benefits. Just to briefly mention, that's my dispute resolution or litigation colleagues and who, for the most part, generally this is my observation, but many might share it. In the use of technology are, are further ahead than many other colleagues, um, particularly in relation to rev document review and e-discovery. And they, we've created real tangible benefits in that area because because JWS is a smaller firm, don't have our own in-house e-discovery platform. We outsource it to external providers, and there's certainly a number in Australia. And before I came along, that, that whole process was a little bit ad hoc. And a big part of my role has been to rationalize that, to get the process running more smoothly, work with particular providers that we rate, who provide us with particular types of technology, so that we're all using the same technology. It's not you know, relativity on this matter, ringtone on another, not, yeah. you know. Um, but so rationalizing that and, and then also ensuring that pricing for the provision of those services is more competitive and close and, and the process of, of obtaining those services is more efficient. And then once you've got that basis, you're working with a few trusted providers you can then start to then leverage the technology in a way that probably wasn't achievable when you were just using a large number of different service providers. 
And so that process is very much underway. And so that, that has been one area of my role that, that has provided tangible benefits, I believe. But there are, you're right, there are other areas where it is more difficult, at least at this stage, to, to point to. There's a lot of trying to encourage colleagues and other practice areas to consider and use certain types of technology. And in my role, I'm approached by many um, external vendors and trying to sell me technology. And it's a big part of my role. But I, in turn, have to be an internal salesperson yeah. and say, we have this technology, you should use it. And so uh, in many ways, I, <laughs> I'm pretty similar to the external vendors. I'm, I'm trying to sell this yeah. internally. And only a small, at its early days, not all of my colleagues are receptive to all the different types of technology, innovative ways of working that I'm offering them. So yeah, there's a lot of internal marketing and not all of it results in internal sales, if yeah. you like. <laughs> and, and this is a really, a really interesting part of my role. It's looking at the back end of, of the way law firms operate and trying to bring innovation and technology to that. And this I'm referring to, and I, and I mentioned it earlier when I was talking about creating value from data. This is, this is looking at, uh, on the back end, the, the data that is generated, semi-structured data, right. and trying to, try, trying to create value from it, from our billing information, from marketing information, from information not only about trying to, tr trying to better market to new clients or to existing clients, but also to... Um, look at the referrals that, yeah. that that law firm has, a very critical area of our law firm, but probably most law firms. You know, workers refer to us, or we're referring work to other law firms, but other yeah. organizations and trying to manage that more efficiently. And so those are areas where it, it is it is difficult to to actually, at least in, in the early stages, to identify a tangible benefit from what you are doing. But it's always something that I'm constantly thinking about. How do we how do we demonstrate that we've actually have created value here? What metrics can we use? It's not enough to say, oh, this is just all intangible and, and just have a bit of narrative about it. There's, there, there's always ways, or in most cases, there's ways to measure things and, yeah. and, and, then, and, and then having a go at measuring it. And then you go down the rabbit hole of, of <laughs> what tools to use to measure it. And sure. you probably have to stop yourself before you go yeah. too deep down that rabbit hole because yeah, a wise person once said something that, you know, and that's something that you don't measure, you can't improve you know, or something along those lines anyway, as so it becomes very important. And actually the, the point that you're talking about, the backend information, it's, it's something that every business has, not unique to law firms by any means. And in fact, most businesses spend considerable amount of resources, time, money, uh, people resources in ensuring that they are measuring that. And especially if you look at, for example, the SaaS business, it becomes so important to understand, okay, we are getting leads, we are getting referrals. What do we do from this? How, what is that conversion rate? And the same thing for a law firm. If we are referring work out to someone, what happens to that if we are being referred work what happens to that because especially if you are being referred work that's a revenue generating function potentially and let's assuming convert on that so what are the small tweaks that you can make what levers can you pull to ensure that maybe you increase the amount of referrals or if you mm -hmm. when you do get a referral the the matter that you open is of uh, 
sizable value or whatever it might be. Those things are so critical, but often they end up becoming the unsung heroes or in a law firm function. They, they are the ones that actually over at least my hypothesis, they will become very important as law firms start changing how they get clients. It goes away from, I'm going to get them through my network. And in fact, that should also be a, a point of measurement. How are you getting your work in? If it is through a network, how do we enable our lawyers and anyone else client-facing to increase the network size? How do we take advantage of that? I know there's some... This, there's some great analytical tools. So, so, so of course, uh, I'm, I work very closely with our business, de- with my business development colleagues mm-hmm. or marketing colleagues in this area, and, and they have a lot of great data that can be analysed. But yeah. there's also ways of just analysing the communications in and out of the firm yeah. with with other organisations. And there's this, there's some interesting third party products or services out there that can can assist with that. And we're also looking at doing that more intelligently internally as well, actually being able to to put some metrics around relationships between individual colleagues and certain third parties and and track that over time. And I think in the service industry, I think it's probably not uncontroversial for me to say, but I think law firms are probably behind in, in the way that they do measure relationships compared to other sectors, other industries um, in the service area. And there's definitely a lot that we can do in that regard to better the business and and improve the services we provide. Yeah. And I think that's a good segue to providing good service to your clients. I guess rather than just ask the really cliched question of how do you improve service delivery to your clients from your perspective of wearing the innovation hat are you pulled into conversations with clients? Essentially, are you client-facing? And if you are, what are the conversations that you're having with other businesses or clients? At what point do you get brought in? And what's your function in those conversations? That's a good question. Happy to answer it. I'm in certain areas client-facing. It's been a great, interesting part of my role to be involved in certain marketing or pitch discussions. Certainly getting a lot of colleagues calling me up in the last, in the last year at minimum, <clears throat> to develop a legal innovation section of a pitch document or a pitch mm-hmm. presentation that they're giving, <clears throat> but increasingly also um, feeding them not only information for them to take to a pitch meeting, but also um, accompanying them <clears throat> to such a meeting. And then yeah, speaking directly to our clients or potential clients as to the ways that JWS working innovatively can benefit them and increase the efficiency and the quality of the services we're, we're providing to them. So that's that, that's part of, of what I'm doing. <clears throat> the other thing I'm doing, which I find very interesting, is trying to think about the ways <clears throat> that we can improve the product or the, the, the service we provide. So we work in a very competitive industry and we have very able competitors who are providing excellent services. We see those competitors across the table from us acting for um, you know, their clients who are either doing a transaction with our client or in a dispute with our client. But it's trying to go beyond that and think more carefully um, about the way that we deliver services to our clients. What are they going to do with the product of our work? If it's transaction, it's typical for a law firm to provide transaction volume or in some jurisdictions called a Bible or a transaction yeah. set. Can we do more than that? Can, can we provide the information 
in a way that the client can better use it internally. And of course, you know, that gives us opportunities as well to, to have further engagement with that client rather than just, you know, giving them the information in a way they then need to take it away and, and digest it and dissect it or, or reorganize it. Work more closely with clients to say, what are you ultimately doing with this information? Who is it going to in your organization? Yeah. It's probably going beyond the internal legal team to certain business teams in, in that client. And so providing information to them in a form that can just be pushed straight to the people who need it. Yeah. So thinking a lot about that, but there, there are challenges in that approach as well, because you want to give the client information in the format they can most effectively use. And then probably until recently, many law firms have thought about just creating portals for their clients, which the law firm posts or the, the pertinent information which is probably better than just sending the information to clients attached to an email or, or a USB drive. But I've certainly spoken to clients where they're working with a large number of law firms and yeah. each law firm's got a different portal and it's, they can't remember the password <laughs> for all the different portals. So I think we, we have to go beyond that. Yeah. Um, engage with our client's systems and deliver the information so it flows seamlessly into the system. And most ambitiously, think about with our clients systems that they should actually potentially use because you know, some of our clients are very sophisticated and indeed are probably more sophisticated than we are from a technological perspective, but many are not. And there's ways in which to build a partnership with them to actually bring about um, change within their own organizations in the way they store um, and use information. And because we as law firms are such we create a lot of information that flows into those systems. We need to think um, a lot more carefully yeah. about how we deliver that information in as structured a way as possible. So I think that's a really interesting area of my role and it's you know, blatantly a way to try and differentiate what we're doing from our competitors. But of course, they'll, yeah. <laughs> they'll, they'll be thinking along those lines as well. So it'll yeah. be an interesting contest if, if i can put it that way to see yeah. how we can provide our services um, more efficiently and, and in a way that's more more useful and valuable to our yeah. clients but i think that's a good roadmap on how to think about it you start with the very basic of like where can i add value today internally and that's you basically providing input on the innovation section or whatever you might be off the pitch deck yeah right? because that's a low barrier to entry you already know people what you want to do and what you need to put forward and the next step is okay let's think about we are delivering a product or a service what do they do with that and i, I think it's such an important question to ask all the time what are you doing with this information help us understand yes. this so we can provide better format more information or additional something to benefit you and then the third piece, and it is the ambitious piece, and it's rightly, and it's the challenging piece. It's almost predicting and thinking through. So you're providing now guidance on, hey, this is also something else you should look at, which sets the expectation that you understand your clients and their business so well that you can tell them how to improve their business more than yep. they can, they might be able to tell to themselves. That's really important and, and certainly helps with engagement and stickiness. And then I would say even the next layer beyond that is, can you add some sort of a predictive value? So your segment, Mr. Client or Mrs. Client is going through these changes. We think you should be aware of X, Y, and Z technologies, or essentially you're doing horizon scanning for them. And as yes. a, I think at a 
large area or large segment, you can do that, right? This is what's happening in oil and gas in, a, in five years time. But how do you do that for their business? their niche. And I think that adds an uh, extra layer of value. And yes, uh, hopefully everyone is thinking about this. I, I genuinely sincerely hope so, but they will bring about different. And th- I think this is where you can stand out because your perspective and those of your colleagues should be very different to those that I have or someone else, because you will have a different perspective into this client's world than I do or somebody else will. So sure. yeah, I think it certainly adds as a differentiating point. Uh, and then I'm wary of time. So I, I do want to talk about really, and you talked about engagement there. Certainly one of the things as you talked about your five values was flexible working, right? With that, one of the challenges pre-COVID-19 I'm sure existed was how do you engage both internal colleagues and external clients? So expand a little bit, if you don't mind, on that whole situation of flexible working, and then we can pivot from there to how did the five pillars, uh, so to speak, get affected by COVID-19? How how has your world turned upside down a little bit? Sure. Yeah, flexible working. It's been something that law firms generally, I I believe in the market, have been been focused on for for many years now, particularly given many practice areas. And as as a corporate M&A lawyer, I know this well, with very tight deadlines and, and large volumes of work, you find yourself working extremely long hours. And, try, and trying to set up the technology stack in a way that allows you to, to work more effectively and, and, and hopefully reduce that somewhat uh, and has been has been an important thing for law firms for well many years I would say allowing you to work out of the office if you're traveling allowing you to, to work from home or from from other places but also increasingly trying tr- trying to provide you with technology so that you can you can avoid having to work such long hours or perhaps you can you can juggle your work more effectively with with other with other personal commitments you have <clears throat> so that's certainly been something that that has for a long time be, been a focus for us and of course i think many other law firms and and so i think because of that i can only speak for us but from what i've observed i think when when the covid-19 crisis came along many firms were in a, a good position to to move quickly to adjust to it of course goes out say i'll say it but we're a service industry and the way we work makes it a lot less challenging to continue to operate in, in this remote working environment we certainly had that going for us but because we most of our all of our competitors already had in place systems, at least for attorneys, lawyers, mm-hmm. to work remotely. The transition has been relatively smooth, and there have been challenges and issues, and particularly with some of our colleagues, members of staff support colleagues, enabling them to work remotely. So there have been some challenges in that regard. But for the front end of the business, for for practitioners, fee earners, has been relatively smooth. On the transaction side of our business, and so now I'm moving to to COVID to, to yeah. COVID nineteen. For the transaction side of our business, which include which includes my my previous practice area, corporate M and A, working remotely has proven to be not as significant a challenge as as you might have expected. For the most part, over the last decade. The majority of negotiation calls, calls with clients certainly, but also with the other side, negotiating documents mm-hmm. has been over telephone. Meet meetings did occur, I should say, particularly if there was a particularly you know, tricky area. But for the most part, it 
for the most part, it was done remotely, yeah. except the, the, the lawyers and their clients were all sitting in their, their offices. And, and so they've moved now to you know, sitting at home and doing this. Shouldn't be disappointed <laughs> by this, but my colleagues in that area have not really needed too much more assistance from me in, in that whole area of communications and setting up calls and the like. They're, they're pretty comfortable with where they're sitting using the conference call, the audio conference call. On, however, on our dispute side, it has, it has been more challenging. And so for me, a lot more interesting in that we've had to move um, to an environment where face-to-face, well, mediation meetings here and, and, and court, courtroom hearings have been mm. significantly disrupted. And, and so trying to think of ways in which we can nonetheless still attend those mediation meetings, still attend those hearings, still attend those trials. And for, for certainly for the, in the courts, that, that is being led by the courts. They're saying we should use this technology, that technology. And so we have to be a bit reactive to that. But also some courts have come to us and said, what do you guys suggest? What do you, what do you use? I'm a mediation's more so as well and so trying to move from uh, a situation where people would go and you know sit in a room to, to use technology in those forums it has been quite challenging and and you and I are doing this on zoom and and, and some courts are using zoom but it does have its limitations for, for those types of for those types of forums and so it's been very interesting to, to look at ways in which we can use technology and, and take it to the next level. Court hearings can occur and the, the judge or the presiding official can have some control over, over proceedings. And that, that might be using external providers who have a sort of a technical control of things. But it's also been really interesting to look at some of the new services and products that are being developed, which, which deal with this as well. So that's probably been, aside from assisting my colleagues in working remotely, that, that area is been one of the one of the more interesting areas over the last few weeks trying to assist colleagues and adjust in in the dispute side to adjust to this new remote working environment yeah and i think it's really interesting seeing i think individual businesses yes as you've said a lot of law firms had thought about it they most businesses hadn't thought about it obviously in this way rightly or wrongly and certainly they hadn't thought about it at this scale in such a short span of time so uh, i started this with this has been a accelerant for many and certainly the whole profession in the world for the courts it's been just quite a dramatic change and of course state by state whether you're in new south wales victoria or at a jurisdiction level australia uk us and so on it is really interesting to see how the courts are dealing with this because, again, some courts are more or less forward-thinking or adaptive to this stuff, but every single one of them have had to figure out what do we do with this. Using Zoom may not be the right answer for everything. It sure. has certainly its own challenges, and certainly doing things in person doesn't always work, and some things still now require a physical presence. So what do you do with that? I spoke a couple of weeks ago with someone talking about custodies and childcare matters, mm-hmm. right? That whole world has turned upside down. What do you do with that? If someone has custody of a child, you can't leave your house to go give it to your spouse or your partner or someone else. What happens? Mm-hmm. So that there's all sorts of interesting modalities that are going through. So it's really interesting to hear. And I guess maybe 
not as surprising uh, about the transactional side of things. I think the nature of work has to change. And I think as much as you guys, I'm sure, are um, providing your input to courts on how some, what some of the ways that you can do this, it'll be the same with clients as well, because you'll have a number of clients uh, coming to you saying, look, we, this is how we're going to work for now and likely for the foreseeable future and others may be coming to you and asking, how are you doing this with other clients? How, how can we make this a little bit easier? Yeah. Indeed. And, and I don't want to, on the transactions, um, on the transaction side, we are talking about the, the meetings and the yep. comms. Yeah. There's, there's nonetheless still very interesting <laughs> areas to innovate as yeah. on the transaction side with the flow of information and, and, and how you, it's an area very close to my heart as well, since I'm an M&A lawyer and how we can better manage the flow of information yeah. critically now that we're in, 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 we're all working in a remote environment and, mm-hmm. and, and managing the finalization of documents and the exchange of documents, yeah. execution of documents still has become even more an area of focus. For sure, yeah. And then I guess just in wrapping up as we conclude this, thinking through others that may be on a similar journey, right? Whether they are doing both the lawyer and the innovator part together or separately, what's one bit of information that you can share and to give you, I guess, a bit more focus on this, what is something that was in hindsight, quite a blind spot for you as you navigated through this world? What was something that you were like, wow, I I thought that was going to be just so simple. And in hindsight, it's been, you know, become a big part of your world. And for simplicity, let's take out the COVID-19 situation from this. Sure. uh, Because that would have its own far-reaching implications. Uh, So what's something that, you know, someone early in this journey or maybe they're sort of well along, what should they think about? There's, there's, there's a large number of things, but maybe I'll just uh, light on two. Mm-hmm. The first is really coming from the tech enthusiast that I was, yeah. uh, still am, when I came to this role. And, and that is seeing all this great technology and um, software that, that might be leveraged and then you know, coming up against the cold reality of maintaining client confidentiality over information. Use, using certain SaaS platforms to to collaborate and manage um, a transaction, even if just internally at a law firm with your colleagues, runs up very quickly up against client confidentiality concerns, or even suggesting a great little app on, on an iPhone to, to check the grammar of your email. Again, what's it doing? It's taking the text of your email and putting it into a cloud and analyzing it. So so all these great tools, which at first glance seem, you know, they could add real value, run into the reality, at least for law firms of, well, no, that's client confidential information that's going into an environment which we we don't control. Now, now of course, you can take steps and, you know, uh, to get comfortable with that. And that's probably, we don't have time for a whole discussion about law firms moving to, 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 to putting information to the cloud. But that was one area where, you know, enthusiasm hit reality pretty soon on when I took the role. The other area is, which is a, which is a real challenge, but, and I've mentioned it before, but, and you mentioned the word engagement and that's getting engagement with colleagues. So as I said earlier, COVID-19 may change this early days. Colleagues have worked for the most part, very successful, have great practices, have great client relationships and not always receptive to changing the way they do things or they may be receptive in theory in in, in principle and think that's a great way but when it comes to the cold light of let's try and do it differently on this matter it's like oh no 
that's a bit that's a bit difficult or or I, I see the value in that but and I then have to explain it to the client and the client just wants the job done and we've got the job so let's just do it so um, trying to trying to deal with that and get and get engagement is a huge challenge of the role of, of the role that I currently have really it goes back to the salesman point really demonstrating internally to colleagues not only demonstrating and persuading them but actually giving them the tools or the lines or the, the arguments to use to to, to share the, or demonstrate the benefits to their clients that, that's a big part of my role and think trying to think very carefully about that and get engagement in practice and hasn't always been easy and they're great products or solutions or even internal ways of changing things but to take up hasn't always been as quick as I would have liked in some areas yeah. so that that's something that you do need to really think about carefully focus on and um, concentrate on in, in a role like mine yeah no perfect and thank you again for joining me today sure. and thank you for making the time that's Jan Hart of Johnson Winter Snattery and yeah have a wonderful day thank you very much Ab If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the Fringe Legal Newsletter. This is a weekly roundup of interesting things. Every Sunday, I send out an exclusive email with three to five of the coolest things we've explored that week. It could include exclusive content, sneak peek at future projects, books, articles, or new hacks. The emails are available only if you subscribe to the newsletter, and more than 530 people receive it every single week. You can join up at fringelegal.com slash newsletter it's completely free thank you for listening and i hope you enjoyed that discussion before you go please share this with one other person and leave us a five-star review on apple podcast or wherever you listen this podcast was produced by me abhijat saraswath paula chrysostomu is the manager for the show and pretty saraswath is the content strategist You can listen to all previous episodes and reach out to us at fringelegal.com. Thank you.